Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is a boy who was yodeling in Walmarts before it was cool, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good today. Yeah. You're good today. You're good every day. True. True. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. Uh, email us podcast at romancircusblog.com we're on patreon patreon.com slash romancircuspod you can also find us on itunes or you can rate and review us if you so choose uh, and you can also find us anywhere podcasts are you've also found us uh, so anyway we have an interview today and it's long so we're going to get right to it uh, it's yes. a very fun interview it's with destiny herndon de la rosa and uh yeah she's she's great her group is it sorry what were you gonna say zach well um yeah just a far-reaching interview so her her organization she started is new wave feminists they're a pro-life group um you may recognize them from the news because they were sort of famously kicked out of the women's march in 2016 Mm -hmm. um for opposing abortion um and so you know just because of the uh, the space that they fill. I think at one point Destiny's Twitter bio or wherever it was was just called, we just said wrong about everything. It still um, does. I'm looking at it right now. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's fun. We're going to talk about, um, you know, we're going to talk about abortion and pro-life and feminism and um, we're going to talk about the border and immigration and uh, so, helping immigrants. We're, 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 going, we're going there tonight. Today. Yeah, it's, whatever time that's the one thing. This. Yeah, if you're listening to it with younger ears you might want to hold up because it's it's gets into some intense stuff not too intense but just wanted to give you all a warning just in case but yeah it's a lot of fun we'll get back to the news and all that jazz next week yes um, and i think this is a first because it's our first ever non-catholic uh guest right it might be well you know non-catholic, non-catholic for the yet f- for yeah. the time being yeah uh yeah, it's great, and uh, we want to get into it, so let's get into it right now. Perfect. All right, Zach, it's time for another Roman Circus Podcast award-nominated interview. Uh, we're hoping to get nominated for some awards for our interviews, and we have this week a columnist for the Dallas Morning News, founder of New Wave Feminists, and most importantly, wife and mother of four kids, Destiny Herndon De La Rosa. How are you, Destiny? Welcome to the show. I'm, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, you are, if I understand, now, I, I, if you don't want to be called a friend of Zach's, we can call you a loose acquaintance of Zach's, if that fits better. <sighs> what is I mean, technically, I've only seen him in real life one time, so I don't okay. even feel like loose acquaintance is. The Which right is time. a funny story because she was like working on a project, uh, and they were like, you were like gathering supplies and stuff. You're like, well, if you want to come help me sort supplies, but you were kidding, I think. <laughs> and I just like showed up at your house anyway. Like, never and... given you my address. Had no idea how you found my house. It was very interesting. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you, said, you, you do sounds... my taxes, so I guess you had my dress for that reason. Oh, there's that's that's the thing. That's it's what you got to watch out. Stalking. Yeah, when you give Zach Mabry the key to your entire existence financially, <laughs> that's when you run into trouble. 
that's that's um, the problem. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you know it happens. But we uh, we had a good time, and that was that was when um you had said your uh, not to just like already jump into a topic, but like was it your grandmother who gave you her silver? Yeah, it was the last time we did our bottles to the border drive, and my grandmother's this very staunch like Republican, and you know, watches a lot of Fox News, has a lot of opinions about stuff going on at the border. And so I went over to visit with them um, and I was telling them we were doing this big border drive back in December. Mm -hmm. And um, I was talking about, you know, it was it was a very political conversation. And then I just mentioned that there was this baby that was actually born in the caravan, Um, this little baby named Guadalupe. And she was beautiful. And I showed my grandmother the picture and I said, you know, it's Christmas time. And I know you're a big fan of that one story about that <laughs> that one person that was born while on the road, while, you know, traveling and didn't know where he was going to be laying his head that night. And, you know, if anything, like maybe the story of Jesus would actually like help you understand kind of the fear and trepidation a lot of these families are going through. And she got all teary eyed and she's like, you need to write that down. And then she said, do you do you have room in your car for something? And I'm like, well, how big is something? And she's like, I want to give you Mm -hmm. all of my old silver because you were going to inherit this one day. And, you know, in your modern life, you probably won't use it for anything. But if I can donate it and you can sell it and use the money for your border drive, I think that's probably what you would want to do with it anyway. And it was just this really beautiful moment of my grandmother's understanding the humanity of the issue and us moving beyond politics, which was kind of the whole design of our campaign bottles to the border to begin with. So yeah, mm-hmm. she had just done that. And so when Zach came over, I'm sure I had like puffy eyes from crying and being all like, that was beautiful. Um, and if I had known he was coming over, maybe I would have at least put makeup on, but it's okay. Did- I mean, so, so maybe that does make Zach my real friend. Cause he's seen me in like greasy ponytail hair and pajamas. Cause I wasn't expecting him. <laughs> No, that that is that is the mark of two, true friendship. Did true he make friendship. you claim that silver on your taxes? That's the <laughs> other question. Um, dang it! You know what? Y'all are getting me in trouble right now. No, that's so. When he, I was out in Dallas around tax time, and he was, we were going over my taxes, and he was like, uh, tiptoeing around asking me certain questions about what I wanted to claim on my taxes, and I was like, I get it, just in case there's a. Uh, just in case there's microphones in the room and they're listening to us, we have to be very secretive about what I may or may not be claiming as income. That is hilarious. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> nothing if not very thorough, so I will give him that. Yeah. That's right. Okay, so uh, we said the big buzzword when we introduced you. We said feminists, and that is a word that comes with a lot of feelings. Uh, it's a word that I mean, obviously, people can use to label anyone they don't like as a crazy person or get someone they want, they like to, you know, rally behind. Uh, what What is the, give us a little bit of background on New Wave Feminists and why you decided to start this organization. Yeah, so New Wave Feminists, I would say, is not your typical kind of feminist. I, I do know that a lot of people hear that word and they cringe. And I was just thinking about how before we started the show, y'all actually warned me that, you know, not to say any F words on here. And that probably is the most offensive F word no, to that, a lot of people. Yeah, no, that is the one we didn't want to say. <laughs> that, oh, we, we're fine I mean, with everything except feminism. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, um, I mean, <laughs> we're definitely kind of doing it a little differently. We follow something called the consistent life ethic. And 
I found mm. that actually a lot of Catholics are really drawn to that. Um, it's kind of like the seamless garment, but... I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah, well, and what I've... What, I mean, I'm not Catholic, so what I've heard from people who oppose the seamless garment is a lot of re- times it is used as a reason to not care about other issues. So, you know, somebody's talking about abortion I, and they're like, yeah. well, why don't you care about children that are already born, right? And Right, yeah, that's kind of why care, I don't like it. Well, and, and I, I think it's really unfortunate that that's the way it's been used because for us, yeah. it's the exact opposite. It is, I care about the unborn child because I care about the migrant, because I care about the per- person on death row, because I care about veterans, sure. you know? And so we use it to kind of elevate all of these issues and show how mm. they are interconnected. And I think that there are a lot of Catholics who are really kind of hungry for that consistency and have been drawn to New Wave Feminists for sure. Um, out of that. So yeah, our main focus is pro-life feminism um, from the angle of abortion, just because that's part of my personal story. Um, My mom got pregnant with me when she was 19 years old at the University of Mm -hmm. Texas, and she ended up having to leave school, you know, spend the next 10 years working on her degree. there, There just weren't a lot of accommodations for her. And I suffered because of that. And so did she. And so Um, You know, our lives would have been easier if we had a culture that truly stepped up and accommodated women who wanted to have their children and stay in school. So I always viewed it from kind of like I was the fetus in this scenario. And then when I was 16 years old, I ended up facing my own unplanned pregnancy. And I was so mad at myself because if anybody knew better than to repeat this cycle, it was me. But Mm -hmm. here I was. And um, the one thing I never considered was abortion, though. Like, I knew it was a human being because I was that human being. And so realizing that a lot of my friends were choosing abortion because of lack of support. They were getting kicked out of their homes. They were... um, you know, scared of, of the cost associated with it, all of these things, I think was really, I, it was really impactful to my activism now because I realized mm. it was much easier for me to make that choice because I did have my family's support. And so, you know, going forward with my activism, it is definitely rooted in in feminism and, and you know, the Webster Dictionary view of feminism that, um women and and men should both have equal opportunities but it's not this feminism that hates on men in any way like I love men I'm married to a man who's fabulous like I've made two men with my body I'm a big fan of men (laughs) I will never have a group that they couldn't be a part of as well sure yeah it uh so yeah that when I just to clarify when I just said that I was not a fan of the seamless garment argument it was mainly because of the fact that it was, like you said, it is used as a club to kind of like whap you over the head on one issue with another issue, right? Yeah. Not that, not that the idea that all the issues aren't important. It's more of a we're we're allowed to frame we're allowed to frame one issue while you know not talking about another, but then talking about that at a separate time, right? Like it, uh, it. But yeah, anyway, it so. So this, did you, because of the way, because of the situation surrounding your birth, were you always pretty pro-life or did you ever, did it ever occur, did it ever occur to you that kind of, did your, did your circumstances of your birth like kind of hit you later on or what is the, 
You know, I mean, I think I was always pro-life. I remember growing up with that Time magazine mm -hmm. spread from the 70s that had, you know, the pictures of life inside the womb. And I just, I love science. I've always been drawn to science and biology. And so for me, it was just like, this is a human being. And, you know, I believe that we should use our privilege and our strength to stand up for the marginalized, which most feminists agree with. They just seem to make this exception for the unborn child. And so that's where we're trying to bring some consistency to the pro-life movement and mm -hmm. so for me, it was it was never really a question, but that doesn't mean that I don't have empathy and I don't understand how hard it is. Uh, one of the stories sure. I always yeah. used to tell was, you know, when I was 16, having this girl walk up to me, it, like it was like the first day of school, summer or after summer, and I had like my big baby belly, right? And I'm like five months pregnant. And she says, I was pregnant over the summer too. And I looked down and she didn't have that. And I said... Mm -hmm wait, you were pregnant? And she's like, yeah, I had an abortion. And I said, so you killed your child and you're proud of it. And I just kind of like stuck it Yikes. to her. And she swore at me and stormed off, rightfully so, right? And so that night I went home and I remember telling my mom about it because my mom's really pro-life. I thought she'd be so proud of me. And instead she really kind of condemned this behavior. And she was like, okay, she's going to have her next abortion in your honor. Like, why weren't you there Ooh. like to support yeah. her? And she goes, you more than anyone know how scary this is. And she's exactly right. And so the very next day I went back to school and in the hilarious way the universe works, um, I had a completely different girl come up and do an almost identical uh, spiel. You know, I was pregnant over the mm. summer too. And at the time I'm sitting at the cafeteria lunchroom table and I was reading what to expect when you're expecting. And at the same time, I'm getting all these baby center updates about my fetal development and all this stuff. And I, I knew that I had to say something and I knew I couldn't say what I said the day before. And sure. so I just looked at her and I said, how far along were you? And she goes, I don't know, like 12 weeks. And I rattled off some fact that like to this day, I don't even remember, you know, like, oh, fingernails and toenails, something like that. And I just remember her slamming her hands on the table and swearing at me and storming off again. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm amazing at this. I should make a career of this, right? Like, <laughs> right. And clearly this is my calling. Yeah. Um, but I noticed like those two instances, one, I was condemning and I was judgmental and it was not okay. But in the second one, I was giving her basic facts, like biological mm -hmm. information that I think she should have had before she ever walked through the door of an abortion clinic. And in that moment, I saw how that child became real to her. It was no longer a clump of cells. It was something with fingernails and toenails. And I just remember thinking, like, I never want to see another woman who has that realization after it's too late. Mm -hmm. And so one of our big tenets with pro-life feminism is, you know, we're pro-woman, pro-child, pro-education. Like, we don't focus a ton on laws. Like, really our focus is on educating women and making sure that they have support to make life-affirming choices because no matter which way the laws go – that level of desperation that you feel when you are pregnant. Like, you know, I knew I wasn't going to have an abortion, but I vividly remember having the thought, like, I wish I could rip my stomach off of my body and run away from it. Like, I was absolutely terrified. Wow. That that doesn't change based on laws. You know, that desperation right. is still there, and we have to be there, you know, to be the calm in the middle of that storm. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's really interesting, the idea of uh, – the the idea floating around that all we need to do is just cha just make Roe v. Wade like overturn it right like that's the the well for one reason it's because people want our votes but the idea is 
we can, there's so much to do and Roe versus Wade actually doesn't have to be overturned for us to make an impact, right? Like we can, we can still tell these Let's people what's going on. Let's start making that culture now. Like the right. low hanging fruit. There are so many women yeah. who are having abortions now that don't want them, but they're having them because of financial constraints and a lack of support yeah. and a lack of resources. Like, yeah, why aren't we focusing just as much time and energy on that? Yeah, they, uh, there's, it's, it's kind of the idea and I it's it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to wrap your head around at first but there's the idea that Zach and I have talked about and I've talked about with other people on this podcast that uh you have to actually it's the idea of a good versus a lesser good right so we have to approach we have to approach women who are in this situation not looking at them as saying they want to do something evil but they're choosing basically the lesser good like the people who are pro abortion are pro-abortion because they care about the woman, right? So you, it's still, it's not because they're monstrous, except obvious fringes. But it's not because they're monstrous. We just, it's because they see what they see as the good, is the health of the woman, which is a good. Yeah, so it's kind of about connecting. Yeah, connecting the two. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I it's think, yeah. I think that there's a lot of people who easily start dehumanizing pro-choicers out there. And I think that, you know, it's really, um, you're making a very valid point. We've got to get to this place where we don't dehumanize others in our attempt to humanize the unborn. Most of them have the best intentions, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. funny because we'll talk to them and they'll say, well, I can never have an abortion myself, but I shouldn't, you know, be telling other women what to do. And to me, that, that whole comment speaks of privilege. Like, why couldn't you have an abortion yourself? What's so precious about your child, you know? Right. It's for people who are under you, right? Right. They're beneath you. Yeah. It's because you know that you have the resources and the ability Mm -hmm. to choose life for your child. So you would never have to, but realize what you're kind of condemning these other women to because maybe they aren't as fortunate as you and so you're saying well they're gonna have to you know allow their child to die in order to succeed like that's not a feminist message in my opinion right it's the same mindset why a bunch of these clinics are set up in low-income areas right like they know that it they know that these are the people that they can target because these are the ones that actually have no have no money and have no means to take care of the child so absolutely yeah that's a pure desperation and targets the right word for it that's what we're seeing i did an interview recently with the bbc and the woman said well aren't you concerned that you know poor women of color won't be able to access abortion they're going to be the ones who suffer under this and i said they're the ones who are already suffering under this they're the ones being targeted by their communities are there's communities are getting ravaged by this stuff right like the and we look we don't look at it from the same like there's the obvious it's a few years old and obviously you know the old statistic that said more black babies were aborted in new york city than were born a few years back like it's horrifying it's just yeah it's it's wild but we it's tough because it's framed it's they do a, such a amazing job of framing it as well, they, well, they frame care, it as a, right? the greater good, right? And that, right. like, uh, the one of the things that drives me the craziest from pro-choice people is when they will bring up the study in Freakonomics that basically says, you know, with the 
uh, legality of abortion, suddenly we had a drop in crime rates. Well, we know most people who, yeah, who are having abortions like are low income and oftentimes minorities. So basically what you're saying is when poor people stop breeding, when we, when we have them kill their children in the womb, (laughs) then we stop breeding criminals. Like how just crazy racist is that? Like it's eugenics at its finest and very well-meaning, you know, people who would consider themselves very ethical and compassionate are the ones spouting this. Yeah, the, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's interesting because Freakonomics also cooked the books, and I can't remember which organization it was that kept running the numbers and being like, "You guys are incorrect." Like, you're riding on the assumption that people realize that you know people from certain demographics are more likely to have abortions, and therefore their lower birth rates result in fewer criminals. Once people, you know, after enough years, when those people get old enough. And the interesting thing is the numbers actually don't point to that. So it's entirely based off of just sort of underlying assumptions and then kind of dressing the numbers up. And like every time they've gone back and shown the numbers, Freakonomics has kind of had some response that doesn't actually address the the criticism. But I, I mean, I remember that one from high school. Well, and it's also such a lazy answer if you think about it. Like, okay, so we have to literally use violence against the weakest and most vulnerable human beings in order to stop violence. Like, how about we talk about poverty Mm -hmm. alleviation or mentorship programs or job training? Like, let's talk about things that would actually make life better for everyone without a violent solution. And I just think that that's where we are as a society. Like, it's much easier to just put the abortion Band-Aid on stuff than actually address the systemic root issues that are leading to these, you know, societal ills to begin with. Yeah, I mean, in in full disclosure, like, I'm very um, adamant that, like, we do want laws. We do want the support of the law when it comes to protecting the unborn. Um, But there is so much else that can happen, and... um, I think that's where I've liked some of your um, comments and the things you put out about, you know, making abortion unthinkable, basically, to where you're not pushed into that situation. Because, you know, I I would guess that the, or I think there's even numbers to back up, that the vast majority of um, of women who, who do have abortions are, are being pressured by either their parents or the father or somebody. Um, and it's, it's not something that they're, you know, they're not excited to exercise their right to choose you know kind of the way it's portrayed by basically wealthy white women on tv yeah the fact that it's gussied up as this liberating you know your membership card into the feminist club and we're shouting our abortions and it was such a liberating experience everybody loves it like that's not the reality of it and even when you talk to some of these women who who say it was the right choice for me i'm glad i made it a lot of them still have regrets or still wonder, you know, what would my life have been like? Like, I think we do that all the time about lesser things. What if I went to this college or what if I took that job instead? Like, maybe Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have met my Mm -hmm. spouse. Maybe this wouldn't have happened. Like, I mean, we do that on these lesser things. But then when it comes to abortion, we almost gaslight women into believing that it wasn't a big deal for them, even though we know that for many of them it was. And so I think that's where we really have to let women feel their feelings about this because otherwise they do become radicalized and the most vocal well, people on the pro-choice side. Yeah. It's just a, I mean, even the fact that they skim over the idea that you're stopping a natural process of your body, right? It has to have some effect. Like your body's thinking it's going to carry out through this process and then it just gets stunted. Like that on the very least that leads to some sort of, I would imagine some emotional 
Well, not damage, even just right? emotional, like, but I, I was at the UN recently, and I never talk about the link uh, between abortion. No big and, deal. And, no big deal. Just the United Nations, you know. Oh, sorry, anyway. I was just at the United Nations. This is not even a big deal. Um, but <laughs> I never talk about the link between breast cancer and abortion because I always kind of thought that was junk, junk science and like you know pro life propaganda. Mm. But I actually heard this doctor explain the reasons behind it and this process that's starting your mammary glands and. Um, you know, all these different cells that are that are dividing and all these things that are happening and that um, when you have a miscarriage, your body naturally processes this, but an abortion puts this abrupt into it. And of course, he explained it in like this brilliant, fascinating way that it made a ton of sense. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is actually a legit thing that people should be talking about. And the statistics don't lie when it comes to the number of women who are having, um, you know, cancer diagnosis later in life. And so moving mm-hmm. even beyond just <clears throat> just the emotional side of it, I think there is a biological side of it. And then going even yeah, further, absolutely. let's talk about, you know, uterine, um, you know, uh, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the whether it's tears in the uterine lining or just um, the the issue of, gosh, I'm blanking on the word so hard. Anyway, your, your uterus not being able to carry a child to full term. Um, right, like I think I've heard that after an abortion, it, it's basically like the, it's the, the cervix can sometimes not be fully healed from that. And so then you can't like, you're, you're more likely to miscarry after that. Yeah, I mean, there's major biological things that can happen. And so when, when, when I was at the UN, um, everybody there is very pro-abortion. But the very last day that I was there, I actually went to this phenomenal panel, which that doctor spoke at, but also a lot of women who had um, had abortion trauma. So major um, snafus that happened within the abortion process, they were talking about it. And it was amazing because the room was filled with a lot of African women and um, people from India and places where abortion is being pushed right now as you know kind of a form of of white saviorism in so many ways like here we do this in america now let's push Mm -hmm. this on other people yeah um and they have only heard these good things about it but hearing um you know some of the negative effects that it could have like everyone in that room was listening because i think we even take that for granted here that if you had a perforated uterus during an abortion you can go to a hospital there's a chance that you know they can still uh salvage your fertility from this right and so you Mm. up and take care of you but in these other countries that you know maybe are like tribal don't even have a hospital don't have adequate medical care this could be a lifelong decision that could completely sterilize you right yeah that's a that's right it's it's so okay so that kind of leads to the next thing is we see a lot of there are a lot of things in the political sphere about the idea of the United States, like us pushing our ways on other people. But then when it comes to things like that, like we're, like you said, we're kind of okay with pushing our, pushing those things. Like, how do you, is there any way you close the, close the gap or the idea of like, well, if you guys are so worried about us, you know, pushing American exceptionalism onto other things and kind of nation building, as it were. We do that. We we don't only do that through war. We do that through other ways, right? 100%. Is there, yeah. is there mean, a way to kind of close that loop? Is there a way to get them to recognize that? It's a form of colonization. It's yeah. very culturally um, inept a lot of times. Like you're going to these cultures that um, view life inside the womb with, with, you know, really high regard and they're very heard, respectful of it. I've heard some, I heard it, um, a man from Africa once say that if you, if you were to go back to his home and talk about abortion, they would like, 
they would look at you cross-eyed. Like they wouldn't even actually register what you were talking about because the idea was so foreign to them. It is. It is. I mean, and that's the thing is like you are just being very insensitive culturally to other people by pushing this on them. And Mm. especially when you're going into more patriarchal communities, right, where they have things like child marriage and marital rape and all these Mm -hmm. horrible things that are happening. And you're not addressing any of those. You're just saying, here's abortion. Like abortion's not going to unrape a woman. It's not going to fix this patriarchal structure that views women as property. All it does is make the child property as well. And in my mind, like that is the the number one place that feminists need to be talking about cultural competence and how we go in there and we assimilate to their culture and we figure out, you know, how we can help serve them better, not push our ways on them while doing more damage in the long run. Well, and I think that's an interesting thing when you look at like the whole concept with um, colonialism and everything is we we have this like awareness that, you know, you had certain certain groups, certain cultures basically pushing their ideas, um, you know, aggressively on, you know, conquered peoples. And we, I guess we think that everybody back then just woke up feeling mean, but like, you know, similar to the way that we spread things like abortion and family planning, people thought, you know, oh, they are going to be so, they need this. They want this, like this, we're liberating them by bringing them this, this thing that's been so in our opinion, good for us. I mean, you know, I'm exempting, obviously, evangelization from that because there was a lot more than just that sort of during, especially, you know, 19th century colonization, um, you know, in entire concepts and ideas. It, it's like, I mean, do we think everyone just was like super mean in the past and was like, we're going to punish them by spreading our way, like forcing our ways on them? Or was it similar to now when they're like, you know, we're so thrilled that with our fundraising efforts we're going to bring the the right to choose to women you know in third world countries and and yada yada i think a lot of a lot of the people who are out there like boots on the ground doing this work think they're doing good stuff but you know not to be too conspiracy theorists about it but i mean we have the gates foundation and yeah warren buffett who for them this is very much a population control initiative this is very much a you know yeah we can we can invest money here or we can invest it in abortion which will save us a lot of time and energy down the road um we saw there was Mm -hmm. recently a story that came out where forced sterilization was happening these women were rounded up and taken to this tent and thought that they were getting inoculated and they were being yeah. sterilized. So we're seeing stuff like this happen all the time. Um, and it is it is a form of eugenics, and it's absolutely horrifying. And then, you know, even here in America, if you think about it, like, the government would much rather support Planned Parenthood so they can keep offering $500 abortions, a number that every other thing in the world has, has dealt with inflation, but not abortion, because they know they have to keep this low and affordable and accessible, right? And so yeah. you, you want to keep this this industry together that can offer $500 abortions because the alternative is by definition an unplanned for pregnancy that Mm. you probably do not have savings for is going to come out of this and the odds of these people needing some sort of government assistance are much higher. So a $500 abortion compared to 18 years of government aid, like, yeah, of course you have to follow the money and see where this is being pushed on people. And it's being dressed up as this liberating act, this woman's right to choose. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's so much more sinister than that. Yeah, there's no way they would allow women to be marched into sterilization tents over here in America, right? Like it's it's the like we just it's just another form of basically turning a blind eye and just assuming that everything is going to 
be okay over there, right? Like it, it's, I don't know. It's. Well, and you say that that they don't, but I mean, they did during the civil rights movement, like Fannie Lou Hamer, this great civil rights activist was sterilized. We saw, you know, with the invention of the birth control pill, it was actually done on Puerto Rican nurses. That's how they did the trials. And uh, Vice, actually, of all places, they have a site called Broadly. They had a great article that was like the racist history of birth control. And they talked about the fact that when they were doing these tests, they told these Puerto Rican nurses they had to do the trial. Otherwise, they wouldn't get their nursing certificates yeah and some of them committed suicide others were sterilized like they had horrible reactions to it and yet this is something that you know we really don't ever address because again it serves white women well yeah no that's fair that's that's and obviously the history of margaret sanger and all that that type of stuff just how what they targeted and what they went about like yeah no that's true so okay yeah it's it's pretty bizarre like it yeah it's an I've, I've talked to, I, uh, my last job, I talked to some people about this and it, like I was trying to get, I was trying to get, uh, info to show them about like the idea of what, of the birth control thing with Margaret Sanger and all that. And I just went actually to their website and was able to find stuff about it. Like it was pretty bizarre. It's like, yeah, they don't even really hide it. Yeah. And they've just tried to kind of PR it to make it, you know, I think that's what disturbs me the most seeing billboards now, especially a big issue we address is the infant Mm. and maternal mortality rate among women of color. And Planned Parenthood will literally juxtapose those statistics with why women need access to abortion. So it's this fear mongering, right? Black women are going to die because there's some bias in the healthcare system that leads to them not getting quality care. So instead of them dying or us making sure that they have better care, they need abortion in order to survive. Like it's horrifying the way it's being packaged. Yeah. Like you, you don't want to die. You don't want to maybe die in childbirth or something. So then you have to do like, yeah, it's all, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. Let's, uh, okay. Let's not address the actual issue. Let's just give everybody an abortion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause the actual issue costs money. Whereas this one makes them money. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. uh, And, uh, now it's interesting. It's the only industry. It's the only industry that, um, you really can't talk about regulating um, without just very fierce opposition. I mean, you don't even get this kind of opposition to regulating, you know, banks or like, you know, oil companies or anything. It's bizarre like, the way uh, even uh, the government supports unregulated stuff. We just saw that happen in South Bend where they allowed whole women's health to come in with no license. Um, and so we're literally taking the back alley and putting it on Main Street. And when you look yeah. at, you know, one of the other points I was going to make earlier is I've got a really good friend who's a woman of color. And she says, you know, my community sees, you know, racism, white supremacy in all of these other areas. Why don't they see it in abortion? Like there are just so many factors that come together in this one huge like time bomb that's just like here are all these issues that are completely decimating entire communities and yet everybody wants to turn a blind eye and like I said that's where I get real conspiracy theorist about it because I'm like how how is I mean this should be the thing that is like every headline ever and instead it's totally ignored and we're made to feel crazy for seeing it so clearly yeah I was thinking there's like this meme that there's like the meme of it's something like imagine if if like women had as many rights as guns do or something um and i was like imagine if food banks had as much leeway as the abortion industry i mean if you look at the just the the lack of oversight and how it's controversial and it's considered 
you know, I mean, they immediately jump to, you know, religious fanatic or anti-woman or whatever they want to call it when you're like, hey, we think it would be good in an abortion clinic where where surgery takes place if you could get a hospital gurney uh, down the hallway. And, you know, that, that law in Texas got that's, overturned. That's anti-woman to say that. We what? want to make sure that if a woman's uterus is perforated, she is carried out in a hammock made from sheets to one of the employee's cars because they don't actually want to have to call an ambulance to draw attention. Like, talk about just how vulnerable a woman is in that moment. And she has to go through something like that. And we see it happen time and time again. Like, there is nothing about that industry that's pro-woman at all. Well, and that's where I tell a lot of people to maybe focus their attention is like if, if they don't have from their life experience um, an understanding or appreciation for what women are going through when they with abortion is talk about the abortion industry. Read about the abortion industry. Learn about it from from that angle, because that that's especially where I say we, we can't do it without changes in the law is that only the law can stand up to this massive industry. I mean, they're very well funded, very profitable worldwide and. Um, you know, being able to, it, it takes some, something the size of a state to, to you know, to rein in such But a, again, a when you know industry. that the government has a vested interest in this, like, I don't think they're going to do anything about it. I think that's why even when we have all Republicans and we have enough people to overturn Roe, it doesn't happen. And so I think that the time of waiting on the government and the law to step up and change, like, that time's gone. I think that we are in an age of marketing and PR. And, you know, I had a friend who used to say John Stewart got Obama elected. Like, getting the message out there in funny, entertaining sure. ways, I think, is vital. And right. unfortunately, the pro-life movement is kind of garbage at that because we're all, like, hysterical and weird all the time. Well, it's and just, we've yeah. stop. Well, it's, that's kind of, that kind of is a segue into, I wanted to talk about, We'll talk about unplanned and we'll talk. I want to talk about Gosnell a little bit, but um, yeah, I just every time, like, there's such a cringiness about any time we try, our side tries to fight back on social media, right? Like, I, I don't, I just don't think we're good at it. I don't think we, I think, I think it's like, it's too much trying to own the libs. It's too much try, it's too much trying to land like, Kill, you're, you're trying to land kill shots when you don't even know how to handle the the weapon basically like it's it's i don't know if, if you share the same thoughts or anything but it, it's it really is like a dependent on owning just a pure own the libs thing well, i mean to that's me. the thing it's it's i want to win this argument even if i lose the person and that's not going to work yeah. for us we have to we have to win the people like the hearts and minds it has to be a cultural shift in consciousness that mm-hmm. is the only way that we make abortion unthinkable is by by getting people to see the humanity of the unborn and by making this shit look cool like that's what it comes down to because i think that we're we're just in this place where we are so earnest and so raw with our feelings like half the people and the other half is like well i have all the apologetics arguments i have all the ways that i'm going to you know have you crying uncle by the end of this fight because like i'm i i can get you and i think that yeah. that's like that's ridiculous because we have to realize it's an emotional issue. And so we can have all the logic and science and everything else in the world, and we need to, and we need to be aware of these things. But at the end of the day, I think we have to focus more on the woman than we do the baby because the woman is the one making this decision. We have to acknowledge like what she is going through. We have to be so uber empathetic to, to what she's dealing with and truly understand that. And then we have to say, okay, what's standing in your way? What barriers are there? And how can we remove them? And unfortunately, as a community, we're very reactive and so something happens and we react to it but I think being proactive and going out there and 
you know, I was telling somebody after the heartbeat bills were coming out and I was doing all these interviews and everything was going on. And I said, it just feels like we're constantly setting out fires. And I think Mm -hmm. new wave feminists, like our goal is like, we want to fireproof the culture. We don't want there to be all these arguments that are easily thrown at us that, you know, oh, it's a bunch of white men making laws for women's bodies. Like, okay, get, get some of us in there. (laughs) Like get it. Why aren't we as diversified? Like we need to be thinking long game because PR is important. I don't think that men don't get to have an opinion on abortion or, you know, older white men don't get a say in it. It's a human rights issue. If you're a human, if you've ever been a fetus, I think you get an opinion on it. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, we have to acknowledge, you know, the optics of it don't look very good. And so how can we actually start working in the future to make sure that it's not 50 white men voting stuff down or, or, you know, supporting bills that, you know, it's so easy to create this narrative that they don't when it's care the trust about factor. I mean, it's a trust factor too, of, of even just way beyond the optics. It's just, you know, for women who are in this situation and are scared, you know, hearing it from another woman, especially one who has faced an unplanned pregnancy or, you know, a huge piece of the pro-life movement are women who, who have already had abortions and they're wanting to they, that kind of open their eyes to it. You know, those are people that you can look to and trust because they have skin in the game in ways that, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously agree that uh, everybody that's been a fetus can, has an opinion about abortion, but I do think it's important um, to to put people, to have people who have skin, you know, have more skin in the game um, mm-hmm. advocating so that women who are, you know, making these decisions or, or faced with these uh, situations can look to someone that they, you know, they identify with, they trust, um, you know, who they think, okay, that person may understand just some some piece of what my life is like. I agree. And I think when you see women dialoguing about abortion online, a lot of times it is more heart-to-heart conversations because we do know, like, we could, we could, you know, end up pregnant from a sexual assault. Like, you know, all of these things that get thrown out all the time, like, that could happen to us. It could not happen to you. You're protected biologically from that ever happening to you. And mm-hmm. so it is frustrating to see um, men on the Internet arguing this issue because oftentimes they do just go... To, to logic and arguments and pro-life apologetics and they kind of miss that heart part of it that says yeah you know I can't I can't imagine like they need to empathize like that must be really scary knowing that you could face this at some point in your life and you wouldn't have access to abortion or the proper support systems and so one of the things we always try to focus on is this isn't about taking something away from women we're not trying to take away your right to choose because even you know no matter where what happens with the laws I do think women will still be able to find uh, access to abortion they certainly were before you know Roe was even on the books right sure but the issue is um, it it doesn't really it doesn't really matter what the laws are like if the desperation's still there if women still have this fear then we have to show them what we're giving them again it's not about taking anything away it's about what we're giving them and honestly what has been taken away since 1973. Because of abortion, society has not had to accommodate the needs of women in so many ways. Like my mom's a perfect example, being, you know, in a college at a college university and not having access to, you know, parent housing on campus or things like a lactation room or changing tables or affordable daycare. Like these are all the issues that I think we can come together with pro-choice feminists as well and fight towards because these are the very real practical things that go into a woman's decision-making process when it comes to abortion. And those are all things that I firmly believe have been stolen 
from us because of Roe, because society has not had to step up, because they've been allowed to have this almost type of hostility towards us. Like, you know, you you made your bed, now lie in it. You could have had an abortion. You're choosing to opt into this pregnancy. And so they don't have to do anything to support women. And it's time for us to start fireproofing in that way, looking around and saying, where is society lacking and how can we as a pro-life community step up and uh, and get rid of those those obstacles? Right. It is. You, you see a woman with a child and you think, well, what was she doing having kids or why 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 can't she just take her birth control or, you know, why did she carry this baby to term? And it, 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 it you start to be able to make all of these excuses for compassion, for just seeing a, a mother with her child because you're like there were so many things that you should have done to prevent yourself from having a kid when you're poor like you are and you know i mean again it just isn't actually a solution it's an absolute resentment of our fertility and i think that as a feminist that's something that i'm fighting against i want us to be accommodating women i want society to be built in a way that supports women like that is my mind is what smashing the patriarchy looks like Wow, babies! Uh, in, what did you say? An in, an insult to your fertility? What was the phrase you just used? That was probably. Amazing. I don't know. As soon as lines come out of my head, they're gone. So that's same. That's, it. that's the only time you'll soon... ever hear it is on this podcast. It was an exclusive thought. Oh man, and none of us can remember <laughs> it. Uh, so as far as as far as outreach, we had the Gosnell movie, and we had Unplanned come out within the past year. Um, I will admit up front that I did not see either it was not for not because I did not care to it just did not work out um but do you how do you what are your thoughts on movies like that how do you think they play into the end goal because sometimes there was a little bit maybe not about the movie unplanned but kind of the the process of getting the word out that kind of rubbed me the wrong way slightly about like some of the social media stuff and I get you have to spread the word about the movie but it uh but what what were your kind of your thoughts on some of those things so i first of all abby's my friends it's it's a good story like i will say the book was mm. better um it's it's just it was kind of like a lifetime movie you know which i think that the pro-life movement and the christian movement in a, as a whole tend to produce a lot of those right so i mm-hmm. don't know that the reach is very far i think that there's a lot of like you know grandkids who their grandmothers are forcing them to watch it and maybe it will stick in their psyche and make them pro-life like i think that's right. a good way i can tell you i actually went into the screening in january of last year um with a very you know adamant pro-choice friend of mine um i would actually call her probably pro-abortion she's a she's a pro-choice activist and she sat through about five minutes of it and then got up and left. And in my heart, I'm like, oh, maybe she was so moved by this. She just couldn't watch it. And then she was <laughs> like, dude, that was so cheesy. I couldn't watch it. It was yeah. definitely like kind of like fireproof type movie. The mm-hmm. story's good. Abby's story is really powerful. Like I wish that our movement found a way to fund projects like that better so that it was like actually like, you know, Hollywood quality type movie because it's a powerful story. And if they mm-hmm. had told it the right way, I think it could have it could have been um you know, transcended just a pro-life community. As it is, I don't know that it will, but I think, you know, there's certainly kind of people that that might, you know, just, 
I don't know, be arguing with their friend and it's like, just watch it. And so they'll see it and maybe they'll be able to take something away from it. There's definitely a lot of truth about the inner working of Planned Parenthood and the stuff sure. going on behind the scenes with abortion quotas and things like that. Like, again, I thought it was better in the book. Um, but that's also why, like, it's funny because people have said, oh, are y'all ever going to make a story about new wave feminists? Like, uh, that that could be turned into a movie. And I was like, oh, God, no. Like, never. Like, I would never want, like, I don't know, the chick from Full House playing me in anything. Um like it's definitely something. Lori Laughlin. No, no, no. no, I think she's yeah. going to be occupied, so she can't. I was talking about a DJ. Yeah. What's her name? The one who's related to the Candace, left Candace Cameron. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Candace Cameron Bure. <laughs> Matt knows her. She does all the no, Hallmark movies. No, I don't. I was just kidding because you live in LA. No, oh, okay. she does. She does do all the the Hallmark. <laughs> Well, and that's, I think that's what I don't like is there's two things. It's like one, there's just a certain amount of like, like I agree, you've got to pump your base up. Like you've got to keep your side, you got to keep morale up. So I, I'm never going to be one to like begrudge that. But I just, I'm, I don't know the extent of like with, I and I hate nitpicking my own side. And I, I but like it felt like it quickly veered into just the the standard line of like we're being persecuted by facebook and right. we're being shut yeah, out by yeah. the lamestream media and also we need lower taxes like it just <laughs> it, it so quickly got like weaved into just the the standard kind of republican talking points and yeah i definitely i didn't follow it that closely but i know at one point the concern was like it was some 4chan guy who had been on their like posting weird hashtags that seemed kind of alt-right. And so I know that they actually... Yeah, QAnon stuff, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And they removed him immediately, and they put a friend of mine, actually, this woman named C.J. Williams, who's with Massachusetts Pro-Life, and she's phenomenal. Like, she's, she's like, a social justice warrior, but I actually mean that in a good way. Like, the kind that you love, because she's, like, really authentic and consistent in everything she does. And so I think she was a great Mm -hmm. choice to run the account. I wish she would have been running it from the beginning, but at the time, we were doing a demonstration in um, in D.C. that there's this persecuted people group uh, called the the Uyghurs. And so they're from Turkestan and they're Muslims. And basically, communist China is putting them in legit concentration camps. People are going missing. They're being killed. Like, I mean, horrifying stuff's happening. And Trump just happened to be having a meeting with the uh, Chinese trade delegation or something on the day that was the anniversary for this huge massacre they had where thousands of them had been killed. And so we're heading up to D.C. We're getting the word out. We had shared it all over our social media, and the unplanned account retweeted it. And so Uh. all of a sudden, I was like, "Um, why does this have 452 likes? Like, that's a lot for New Wave Feminist. And I noticed a lot of people were, like, tagging Abby and unplanned in it. And so I went and looked, and I I noticed that that's, uh, that's what had happened. And I also noticed we had this huge influx of, like, Twitter followers that their handles were like MAGA 2020. And I was like, no, (laughs) like slow motion. No, like that is not our audience. Like those people are going to cause me as much stress as I'm going to cause them. Like, please go. And so I called CJ. I'm like, Hey, I love you so much for promoting our thing. Could you please remove it immediately? Like we're kind of protesting Trump a little bit at this particular event. And she's like, well, I just really wanted people to know that we're more consistent. And I was like, I get that, but like it can't come from the unplanned account well, just because yeah. you guys are doing like you know a damage control. Yeah, it's such a we we have no we have no margin for error, right? Like, there's it's such a such a thin line. So even even one of those things where again it it 
very much came from a good place, but then you get wrapped into, yeah, it's just so tough. Like, cause you need, you need the people, you need people to have your back, but you also need, you don't need the Anons on Twitter to go muck it up. Right. Yeah, we're literally the only that. account in the world that does not like publicity. And it's not even just from, like, the pro-life movement. It's uh, We've got this one big feminist in the U.K. who, like, once every year she completely forgets who we are and she shares one of our posts. Like, that's not a pro-lifey post, right? So it'll be something about a college professor, you know, breastfeeding a baby of one of his students or something, right? Like, it's always some, like, super, like, ah, oh, super sweet post. She'll share it. And then all of her pro-choice people are like, why are you sharing this anti-woman page? Why are you sharing your stuff? And so the last time she shared one of our things, I literally immediately messaged her. And I'm like, hey, thanks for the share. You keep forgetting who we are. Please, like, steal our picture. Steal the meme. It's all yours. Like, don't put us on there because, like, we're trying to cultivate a base of people who are consistent life ethicists. Like, that's very important to us. And so we -hmm. can't get wrapped up into the GOP or, you know, pro-choice people who don't realize, you know, that we have a consistent life ethic. Like, it's really life ethic. Like, it's really, really important that we have, in our case, it's definitely a quality versus quantity type goal. When Matt and I talked about that with regards to the right, uh, not the right, the March for Life, is we're, we're saying, okay, you have this incredible march that has all of, you know, just massive attendance every year. Um, and then we'll let, they'll put politicians on stage who haven't done anything for the unborn or for, you know, mothers who are, you know, struggling with the decision regarding abortion. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I, I totally understand that some things aren't that simple and there may be some reason that a politician has to kind of you know wait it out or wait for their moment or you know they can't just their first day in office you know propose a bill banning all aboard whatever but like if they haven't if if there's not like a a very clear record of them doing things to the pro-life movement why would we put them on our stage like we'd rather hear from you know the mothers we'd rather hear from the you know the children who are you know survivors um you know there's a lot of adults who who you know have very personal stories of being abortion survivors essentially it's like i I don't understand why do we need this politician who um during campaign season is pro-life and then does nothing about it after that um and i think it's just just because it's a big get and it it catches you know the news's attention so then they might actually cover it and so they always want to talk about you know, Mike Pence speaking or Trump speaking or whatever, but I agree, it does a disservice to our movement because our movement is so beautifully diverse. And we have so many people from so many different walks of life and so many different political affiliations. And so when we promote it as just this one side that thinks this way, like, I think it shuts off a lot of people because they say like, you know, maybe I'm liberal, but I'm pro-life. Like, I really can't see myself in this movement, though, because it certainly isn't represented at the big events like that. Like, they have mm-hmm. this very curated, very Republican, um, you know, kind of show that they're putting on every year. And I totally I totally agree with you. And I think it also, we shouldn't be rewarding politicians who aren't doing stuff. You know, like, I do think that there are a lot of politicians who are kind of pro-life in name only because they realize that it gets them voters. But we don't see that that pro-life ethos that literally is about a consistency that I see the human dignity in every person and that's why I'm pro-life and those are the leaders that we need to 
to be celebrating, like the people who get it from womb to tomb. One of the most frustrating things for me was back when I used to sidewalk counsel and, you know, we'd be out in front of the abortion clinic trying to talk to women and getting them to make a, a life choice. And instead, like they, they might come down every once in a while. And the first thing you do is you take them to a pregnancy center, you get them a proof of pregnancy. And the whole point behind a proof of pregnancy is because once that's signed by a doctor, they can take it and they can get on Medicaid. So when we're out here doing this work that very heavily kind of depends on government aid, and then we turn around and we're voting for politicians that are trying to strip things like that away, it's very disingenuous. And I think for me, that's when I became a very conflicted voter because, you know, Yes, I'm pro-life and I want to align myself with people who are anti-abortion. But at the end of the day, I also know a lot of policies on the left are the things that actually make it possible for a woman not to choose abortion. And so I'm constantly in this middle ground where it's like I am having to choose between the lesser of two evils. I am having to compromise because while you're pro-life slash anti-abortion, this other person's actually kind of pro-life in the sense that they're the ones talking about the infant maternal mortality rate and they're talking about poverty alleviation and you know, education and all these things and prevention is a really big one, like all these things that actually would lead to fewer abortions. And I think there's so many of us that are so frustrated by this that we're just over the lip service. And so when the March for Life turns into nothing but, you know, a big parade for lip service, it's kind of a little frustrating. Yeah. Right. And I mean, again, like we said, we think it's an incredible event. We just like I my thing is, is like, don't give a stage with millions of people watching it to somebody who hasn't done anything for yeah, the make them hasn't, earn it. hasn't really done anything. And you know, I mean, yeah, I, I can get, if we could get any president, I mean, I understand the liabilities of it being Trump, you know, because a, a president is an entire branch of government. I guess if we can get them there, that's usually uh, probably a win, but like, you know, even then, I mean, it, it's, <clears throat> you want to see results and, um, you know that's what getting too mixed up in kind of the conservative ink thing um it's not helpful and i agree i mean i think most catholics have have always kind of been on this strange like well okay but in a why don't we like provide health care for poor people like we could and it you know that's where you get this strange um conflict with when the when you I, I would call it fusionism but where you take like kind of a, a catholic or pro-life or you know that view and then you merge it with you know low taxes and no government services and that stuff it's like well these positions are not only un, to the extent that they're related it's that they're at odds with each other um and so i i've appreciated kind of the movement um in thought on this and that you you, you are seeing a lot more people that would would previously have maybe been you know conservative or this or that that are kind of saying you know i mean it seems reasonable that we would uh want people to be able to see a doctor like you know maybe that's not uh uh the gateway to communism after all (laughs) Um, yeah these people have to start earning our votes and i think that we are seeing more people who are getting frustrated with just voting for the lesser of two evils. And I have to vote for this person because that other person's so terrible. And so we're not casting votes of integrity and that our consciences like feel good about. And it didn't always used to be like this. You know, there was a time where if a leader was not pro-life and it was just lip service, then we would sit on our hands and not vote for them. And you know what? They would come back fully pro-life after that. They would realize that they actually had to do something in order to earn that vote. But we're just in such a 
crazy political climate right now where the fear of the other person getting any more power is enough that we do compromise um, constantly, you know, just so that maybe possibly, probably we might be able to get a Supreme Court justice that is pro-life, you know, like every single election cycle, we're going to see that happening. Like, you know, us being fear mongered into voting a certain way that's not consistent. And I, I just, I hope it's not sustainable. I hope that model is not sustainable because we deserve better than that. Okay. So we talked about abortion and we're talking about the government involvement and how we're all disillusioned with every single thing that's happening right now. It's a very positive, uplifting podcast we have going on. Um, so there's the other major thing that is the stuff going on at the border. And uh, this is this is where your focus is right now, right? You, you, you're, I assume you're putting a lot of effort and a lot of time into this. I, speaking as... Uh, just me, Matt Baker. I, it's it's a tough issue for me, not because of a lack of caring, but there's just so many things that I think are going into it, and a lot of information, like you know, a lot of uh, with everything, a lot of misinformation, a lot of things that people are just trying to jockey for positions. So I would, okay, the one thing I've said, and I'm not I'm not necessarily pro building a wall but the one thing that i've said that people if they wanted to convince me that a wall would be a good thing is just the rate of people that are wandering through the desert and dying whether they're just left there or whether people are basically trafficking them over like we just there's i with all the stuff about the people locked in cages and the family separation stuff i i feel like there's not a lot of emphasis or as much as there should be as just the number of bodies they find out in the middle of nowhere right and is this because like what what goes behind someone's idea to wander through the desert to make it to america is it because they they're is it because they're forced to do this have you found this because they're um they think it's their only option or they like don't want to seek asylum or they don't want to get like what it what goes in because it's my my a friend once showed me a website where you can see like there's basically pins everywhere they find a body of a person trying to cross a border and it's stunning it's like it's it's awful it's terrible right it's yeah so, it's truly it's truly heartbreaking and i think that's why a lot of us will talk about border security, a need for border security, but compassionate mm-hmm. border security. And right. I was actually just talking to my friend Jason Jones the other day, who he's a big wig in the movement. And he yeah. said that years ago, he had worked with um, Brownback on proposing this bill that basically would create a city in Mexico, an asylum city, where it was mm-hmm. safe and protected and they could get nutrients and you know clean water and all these things that obviously you desperately need after a journey like that. Uh, but it would be on that side and it, there wouldn't be this cluster that we're kind of seeing right now that's happening and that America could fund that. And it would just be the compassionate way to take care of things because he supports, I believe he supports an actual wall. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of... I, I don't support the wall just because I think that, you know, it's a wall. There's ways around it. There's ways right, under there's it. There's looks. We, yeah, and, yeah. And just the optics we, of it, too. Well, right? we know that people honestly fly over and, you know, overstay visas. Like, that's the number one um, way that most migrants come here and, you know, are quote-unquote sure. illegal. Uh, that's how it's happening. And so 
for me personally, I think that America needs to understand that we have some responsibility to those south of the border right now. Like this cartel did not just get created overnight by them. Like there is a lot of American drug money that went into it. There is, Mm -hmm. you know, guns from the Obama era that went into it. Like it is a very unsafe environment. And so you have people down there who literally are fleeing for their lives. Like the only reason that you would take your child on such a treacherous journey is because that actually appears safer than where you currently are. And I think that's where we have to have compassion and Uh, With our border efforts recently, I've been able to do a lot of interviews, and I was actually on EWTN last week, and one of my main goals was to humanize the people who are at the border, because I think dehumanization is is the root of everything. Someone actually asked me, you know, if if you had one wish and could make, would you use it to make abortion illegal? And I said, no, I would use it to eradicate dehumanization. That is at the root of every single thing. And the way that happens is we start talking about Oh, these illegals and these these others, right? And mm-hmm. what people have to realize is the number of them who are Catholics, who are, you know, that's not my faith, but that's your faith. Like, these are your brothers and sisters in faith who are struggling and in desperate positions right now and just looking for safety because they are literally afraid that their family... Uh, is going to be killed, and most of them have lost family members to this really dangerous cartel. And so I think that until things are stabilized down there, like they have a corrupt government, they can't even turn to their government to protect them because if they don't have money, then they're of no use. And so I think that we look at it a lot of times through American eyes. Like, oh, if I was in this dangerous situation, I would call the cops. Well, yeah, because the cops here would usually do something about that. But (laughs) down there, they don't have that. And so I do think just like with pregnancy, when we're talking about like how desperation plays such a crucial part in why women would do horrific things to their bodies, self-induced abortions, or, you know, any of these other things. Like, there is a level of desperation with people at the border that causes them to do crazy dangerous things as well. And it's a loss of human life. And I think it's a tragedy. And so, you know, waiting for the government to fix this, when I feel like the government's, you know, part of the reason we have this problem to begin with, um, that has just, that's not been on my radar. Uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of time, obviously, on social media because that's where I run my group mm-hmm. mostly. And so seeing right. all of these back and forths, you know, like we were talking about with the abortion argument, right? I used to joke that we could literally write an algorithm at this point, like just have a bot who did the abortion arguments for us. Like if the person says this, you say this, then yeah. the bot says this, then we post this statistic in this study and, you know, go back and forth. Like it happens over and over. We're seeing the same thing happen with the immigration debate right now. Like everybody mm-hmm. has a gotcha. It's political theater. It's, well, I read this on Fox news. Well, I read this on MSNBC. Like here's, here's my counterpoint to your counterpoint. And part of me just wonders, if this is not a huge setup, you know, if there's not someone behind the strings who's just, you know, making all of this seem as outlandish as possible so that we will be at each other's throats nonstop. I and would guarantee it. Yeah. I, well, because there's I'm, no. I'm sorry. What were you saying? I was just saying I'm, I'm over it at this point, like, because I think yeah. I'm seeing through that as well, that that's. 
I think that is what's happening. We have a completely invisible society right now that, you know, our portion of society that's running our economy. Mm-hmm. And I think giving these people, you know, dignity in their work and allowing them to come here on, you know, migrant visas annually and make money the way that they have done for decades in the past. Sure. Like you come here seasonally, you make money, like you're making sure that people are actually paying you and not taking advantage of you because when you're undocumented, you're incredibly vulnerable to people taking advantage of you. You know, I mean, there's so many ways that this populace of people is being left incredibly vulnerable while we just squabble and, and are at each other's throats. Sure. They, it's, it's the thing where you do the thing, like you, there's no good, it, it, like the whole cage, the whole cage issue of keeping them in cages, like it, who's, you have to ask yourself at some point, like who is really trying to get them out, right? At some point, cause these, these cage, these, these so-called cages have been around for years, right? And we could have, it's, it's another one of those things where we could do something, but it, it's much more valuable to have pictures or go have politicians go to the border and take pictures where they look really sad at these And, and not let them surface right? until a Republican administration, right? Because we know that this That's is going the frustrating on during thing. Obama. That's frustrating to me with uh, drones, right? Like yeah. the fact that drones were a big thing during Obama's campaign, but then they only get brought up you know, when it comes to, well, to Trump as well, like I'm, I'm a whole life person. So I do see the fact that we are absolutely being played when it comes to these issues. Like the government's been corrupt on these things for a long time. That's the best thing probably about if there was one thing you can say about the best thing about a Trump presidency is it made everybody actually t- take a look at what was happening. Right. No one could just sit there with their with their eyes closed and just pretend that everything is OK. That's a Yeah. Great point. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, I think that an attitude that I would kind of say you can borrow from what I think is the, the bandaid mindset that you see with abortion too is with the migrant stuff is that, you know, when you're talking about the kind of humanitarian crisis affecting Mexico and Central America, um, that's, you know, that's prompting these uh, waves of migration and people, you know, taking these very dangerous journeys. Um, you know, if you're looking at Mexico and Central America, you're talking about 180 million people, and so thinking that we're um, solving the problem by by uh, letting people wander through the desert and stay when they get here um, is is to me a a sort of ridiculous like oh I you know I did something good I'm helping way to look at it from a big picture thing right and not what getting I to like the root about, of the issue in Mexico itself. And that's the thing when Trump's talking about how he eradicated ISIS, do something about the freaking cartel then. (laughs) Like, I mean, do something at our southern border because that would not only solve the problem of people fleeing here because their own home country is so dangerous, but then you wouldn't have to worry about MS-13 or whatever it is you think crossing the border. Like, do something. And it wouldn't be something where we only help the people who are capable. I mean, you know, there's there's plenty of people who are disabled. I mean, and again, I'm not... So I I think from a macro standpoint, I, I... I, I I like that similar with the abortion argument is you kind of have the macro standpoint and then you have the, you know, what do we do uh, with with the person, you know, that we're encountering in front of us. Right. And so we know that people are not wandering through the desert in order to get baby wipes from New Wave Feminists. <laughs> this is and true. So We've baby got, wiped them all. So, yeah, we just... So, like, you guys are not... Uh, that's a th- you know, you guys are not... And when people are like, this isn't... 
um, incentivizing anybody. Nobody's like, oh, I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to walk oh, across right. two countries. <laughs> I see your point. That but I saw new wave these, feminists these have these baby wipes women. that I couldn't turn yeah, down. Yeah, this woman <laughs> with purple hair, you know, has clean underwear for me. So I'm going to just go ahead and do this. Um, you know, and that's where, you know, I, again, as someone who who doesn't think the solution is to only help people on the basis of if they can get to us first. Um, I, I think I I really appreciate the approach of going down to the border, taking them supplies, and and working with them. I mean, because they are kind of being used in this political theater of, you know, the, it, it's kind of the both sides thing of, well, the Republicans can sleep at night because Obama had the cages too, and the Democrats can sleep at night because their their people went down and had photo shoots done. And in the meantime, um, the people actually in the cages are still in the cages and the people who can't make the journey are still suffering. And, and you know, nobody's actually better off, but everybody can kind of, you know, pat sleep themselves at night and pat the themselves back. on the back. Yeah, exactly. So and it's it's so dumb just because it's like when I say that this is how it was under Obama, I'm not saying let's keep doing it. I'm saying we need to realize that, like, a lot of our problems did not start with Trump. And if you think that that you know racism was invented by trump or that um you know our our horrific record of dealing with central america um is it was a trump thing it's like you know you really have to expand and, and learn yeah more he's about just the he's brought it all to the surface that's what's happened with him and now we're being able to see it so i really like that point which in they- some of my leftist friends have joked like on catholic twitter they're like well the one thing that's going to happen with Trump is we're finally going to get rid of the cages because people are going to admit they're there. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's wild. And it, you can see as a, as a former reactionary myself, I, you can see the desire to like the whole thing of this was not a Trump specific thing. You can see where it gets you charged up to where you want to use it as a club, right? Like it, it's such an easy thing to get jacked up over but you almost have to temper it to realize, like, yes, it is a problem. Uh, and unfortunately, as administrations do, the problem gets passed on. So it is now Trump's problem, right? So it, it, It's like the Jeffrey Epstein thing is it's like, oh, well, if there were – if the Democrats have three perverts, as long as the Republicans also have three perverts, then – um, there's actually zero perverts. Yeah. 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 It, right. <laughs> and it's like, guys, like, exactly. And that's why, you know, I agree with just being very skeptical about, you know, political parties and all that, because it, it is just this odd idea that, you know, horrific acts by one party are bad until you can prove the other party did something just as bad or worse. And then. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody sleeps at night. I um, think that's so, like the most liberating yeah. thing that ever happened to me was becoming an independent. And I thought when I left my political party, like, oh, I was going to lose all my power. That's where my power was. But once I became an independent, I could see it all so clearly. And I was like, oh, I don't I don't have to, you know, defend anybody's bad actions. I get to call it all out now. <laughs> and I wish there were more people in this camp. And when we did our Bottles to the Border campaign, that was the beauty of it. We said, this is about people, not politics. And so the whole focus was, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, make a donation, 100% of it goes straight to the border. And we were able to raise, by the end, um, $133,000, which blew my mind, because we did this back in December, and we raised about 10000 with Just New Wave Feminist. Mm-hmm. And so... 
we decided it was time to do it again, and we invited other pro-life groups to join us. And this time we had over 50 other groups that signed on to join us in this initiative. And, you know, people who support a wall, people who support totally open borders, like anarchists. I mean, we had, like, we had everybody jump in and support this because it was just about taking supplies to vulnerable people in need. And we went down to McAllen this weekend and took a semi-truck. Somebody actually gave an in-kind donation of a semi-truck and a driver to us for this weekend. Wow. Um, yeah, filled with over $60,000 worth of supplies for this one respite center in McAllen, Texas. And, you know, being able to take that and drop it off and unload all the stuff for them, because that's a big part of the problem too, is like, even just getting the supplies down there, um, you know, isn't, isn't enough because you actually have to unload them and sort them and that takes volunteer power. And so you can't just like send them on Amazon. basically. <laughs> you can, <laughs> but there's a lot of people then that have to go and separate all that stuff, which is a pain. And we, we wanted to be, you know, helpful to this organization. Like a full and, service. Yeah. Not in any way a hindrance. And so we went down there and spent the day unpacking this truck. It was the hardest I've ever worked in my life. Like my armpits hurt. I didn't even know you could get sore there, but it was this amazing undertaking. <laughs> but when we first showed up, there was actually a roadblock. Uh, one of the, the road that we needed for the semi was completely shut down. And so I went to the door and I'd gotten there like 30 minutes early. We're expecting all these volunteers to help. And they said, oh, sorry, we're having a private event right now. You can't come in. And I was like, mm. what do you mean? And there's all these cops around. And it was evidently um, some Democratic Congress people who were there having a press conference and taking photos. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, they were giving mm-hmm. a $1,000 check to them and all this. And I was super frustrated. I actually, originally, I didn't know if they were Republicans or Democrats. I was just, I mean, as you can tell, I'm becoming more libertarian by the day. Right, um, and just not trusting the government. I was like, whoever you are, you're in my way. And I said, but this was very symbolic, right? that when people are trying to do something like the government even stands in the way then. And the funny thing is like afterwards they were walking out and one of the volunteers is like, Hey, the truck's here. Do you want to help us unload? And the guy was like, no, I'll I'll send somebody. And one of our friends who was with us was like, psych. And we all started laughing. And the very next day uh, we had talked about it online. And I, I will add this caveat. Pence was there the day before. I don't think he would have been helping us sort through the stuff in the truck either. Like, that's just not what politicians do at all. But the very next day, um, all of these Catholics started messaging me because I guess the reading this weekend was about the Good Samaritan, which I'm pretty familiar with that story. But, you know, the idea that you had these these official people, you know, the fancy people walking by who were like, oh, no, I can't help you. Like, I'll, I'll send help or whatever, doing this thing. And then, you know, the people who actually are there to help and doing the work, like, they just, they walked past. And yet mm-hmm. they're the same ones who are saying, like, oh, we're here because we care about what's going on. Right. And I'm just over it now. Like, I, I don't think the government's going to save us. I think we have to save ourselves. And it's it's it has to be a nonpartisan thing. Like, we are so divided. We're so at each other's throats all the time. They're using all these things to just constantly keep us in this fervor. And we have to stop. We have to look for our similarities and not focus on our differences, you know, because I think we have yeah. so many similarities. There's so much common ground where we can work with other people, Um you know, when we put these labels aside and it's really freaking beautiful when it happens. What were the um, supplies? What what were the, like the kinds of supplies that you took down? Oh my gosh. So we took, we've got a infographic of it on our site, all the numbers that we took. But I mean, we took like hundreds of diapers. We took 
uh, nine pallets of water. We took uh, feminine hygiene care items. We took shoelaces because that's something that's confiscated uh, by ICE. We took chapstick and shampoo and toiletries and uh, baby supplies, like pretty much anything. Oh, a ton of formula, a ton of formula and bottles. So anything that they could need while they're staying at this respite center, because this is where as soon as they get out of detainment, ICE brings them is to this respite center. So mm-hmm. a lot of them, um, you know, were caked in filth, honestly, like hadn't sure. it looked like they hadn't been able to shower or brush their teeth or anything. And so um, just those little things that were kind of helping them. And then on Friday morning, as we were about to, we were leaving Friday night to drive down there. And on Friday morning, as I got up, I felt like something was telling me, like, I needed to go get rosaries because we had read these stories about how rosaries are confiscated. And I'm agnostic, but I'm also someone who's just recently in the last few years lost my faith. And I know how hard it is being kind of stripped of your belief system. And I thought how sad it was for them that that they had that same type of thing happen in a physical, tangible way, that their rosaries had been taken away. But I was arguing with the little voice inside of me, and I'm like, no, make the Catholics do that. We've got plenty of Catholics. Abby Johnson's going. She can go pick up rosaries. And it was like, no, you need to be the one to get these. And so I stopped by this little um, Catholic bookshop, and I did not burst into flames, to my surprise. Uh, and but of course, I have purple hair and tattoos, and so the the woman immediately made a beeline towards me. I, like I don't know what she she thought I was going to steal, like prayer cards or something. But I told her what we were doing, and she's like, "Okay, come with me. Let's let's do this." And we took hundreds of rosaries. I ended up getting hundreds of rosaries and prayer cards and. Um, those little coin thingies you guys have. Um, I don't know what any of these things do, by the way, but I figured they. No, see, you touch and... you touch them, so now actually you're Catholic. That's that's how oh, we get you. We get, yeah, we that get you, so and once you, t- <laughs> yeah, I, I have been feeling Honestly, really guilty lately. This explains oh, that's it because I accidentally yeah, yeah, Catholic. See, yeah. you would think Destiny that we would be like wanting to convert you to becoming Catholic, but like you're going to be such a good Catholic when it happens and we don't really need the competition. So <laughs> we're going to just, we're going to just stay I'm, out of your way. I, I think I'm much more effective actually not as a Catholic. And so I'm fine with that. I'm not closed off to ever being Catholic. And I shared the story of, of buying the rosaries on New Wave Feminist and the post kind of went viral. And it was funny because one of my board members sent me a thing and she's like, you are putting such a hard target on yourself from these mm-hmm, Catholics. Like mm-hmm, they're going to grab mm-hmm. their shovels and reroute the Tiber behind you. If you why do you stop. think, we, why do you think we have you on? <laughs> was Destiny? this how I was invited? Yeah, it was kind of last minute. That makes sense. Actually, I didn't know the story. I didn't know the story. We'd been talking about having you on the podcast forever. Uh-huh. Um, and I've been like offline. Sure. Like, there's so many things that have happened that I I'll didn't choose really to know believe about. you. Just yeah, as a, okay. just as a point of note, you are not the first lady on our podcast who has had purple hair and tattoos so we shut up who else uh i think she's the third yeah Teresa zoe williams we had our and uh Haley stewart right yeah i don't know if Haley has tattoos but she has different color hair so it it's Gosh, uh, i'm not even that unique anymore i'm gonna have to go back to brown hair just so i can stand out you're the first destiny on the podcast so fair enough I'll okay go. zach yes also do your daughter so does your do your kids like to call themselves Destiny's Child? Shut up. Okay, Zach. Not. Zach. But you're. <laughs> I will say when when I was on e, EWTN last week, uh, Wyatt, I guess, is the guy's name, and they were trying to get him to do the mic check by saying, "Hey, Destiny, uh, say my name, say my name, say my name," nice. and he wouldn't do nice. it. Nice. So. Nice. Okay, Lame. Zach. Zach wants to close this out by uh, talking about your haters and we need you to give us some tips on how to deal with the haters. Yes. Okay. So 
obviously you've kind of laid out, I, I think quite well, um, your your stance and the stance of your organization that um, the goals of, of feminism, of, of having a system that's equitable to women, um, are goes hand in hand with um, you know being pro life and, and anti abortion, and that you know essentially these are are you know ideas that link up. But obviously, you know, if you look at kind of the mainstream pro life movement and the mainstream feminist movement, um, I think a lot of people maybe don't agree with you. And I imagine that you catch a certain amount of uh, shade being thrown from both sides. So, do you have like any like particularly shady stories you want to drop and then also your uh, advice for dealing with haters? Yeah. So I think, um, obviously I do. I get, I get probably more crap from the pro-life movement than I do uh, the pro-choice side. But one of the things that I've found is when I'm being attacked, um, first of all, it's always fine to just say, okay. So like when, when a pro-choice feminist comes on my page and she's like, you're not a real feminist. You don't support a woman's right to choose. And then like writes a novel, like she puts her senior thesis, like in my comments. Um, that is the most petty thing I can do is just respond. Okay. Because she has taken all this time out of her day to do that. And then, okay. Uh, and my grandparents oh, that's have, well, or, or you just heart it. Like that's another thing you can do on, uh, on Twitter. Just give it a little heart. But one of the things my grandparents have had on their fridge forever is this cartoon from Reader's Digest. And it's this old man who's like 115 and he's being interviewed by a news reporter. And the news reporter says, um, how on earth did you, you know, live to be this old? What's your secret? And he says, well, I eat an apple a day and I don't argue with people. And the reporter says, there's no way that that's all it takes. And he said, okay. (laughs) I mean, and then I think that that's, that's Uh. my model. Like, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. You can tell me that pro-life feminists aren't a thing. I'm not going to like poof in a magical cloud of smoke and disappear when you say that like i'm just gonna keep doing what i'm doing and i'm not gonna waste a ton of time on it um so when you're kicked out of the women's march you just say okay and just carry on yeah and then i go anyway so i'm like okay yeah i'm gonna be there but yeah we were joking that a lot of times um like I, i actually tweeted this yesterday i was like sometimes you just go uh well, it's such an interesting way of looking at it. I love how your mind works. And then you, you've totally sidestepped having to argue with someone. Mm-hmm. It's, just, um, it's or, not worth it. You can tell the people who are not interested in having an actual conversation. But I also think that there's a time for humility and grace, right? Like, especially in this age of the internet where we all get really fired up and we get really mad about stuff. And earlier today, actually, so uh, Lena went with, uh, Planned Parenthood just stepped down as president, right, yeah. and the joke. Well, then didn't they boot her out? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. They in a closed okay, room meeting, they they booted her out, right? So the joke wrote itself because she was only with them for eight months. So mm-hmm. I basically made a post where I was like, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the joke is in this. I'm so exhausted from McAllen. So you guys are going to have to write it for me. And we got all these comments. And my favorite one was somebody who said, um, you know, they didn't fire, in quotes, fire a person, in quotes. They terminated a presidency. And I was like, that's very clever. <laughs> very clever. Yeah, <laughs> and so that I, is I, amazing. Well, and I had this up for like an hour. I would shared it on New Wave Feminist. And all of a sudden, somebody in the comments said, you do realize that she just had a miscarriage last I, week. I heard that like a few hours after, too. I had yeah. no idea. Right. No idea. And so 
immediately I took it down and then people started filling my inbox and they're like, I think Facebook like removed your post because of course it's always oh, like Zuckerberg, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah. no, 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 I removed it myself. So I went back on and I made a comment and I just said, FYI, like Facebook didn't remove this, but I heard that she just had a miscarriage and I, I know that we weren't poking fun at her. We were more poking fun at Planned Parenthood, honestly. But I was like, I still wouldn't want to be adding any pain to what she's going through now. And seeing the people in the comments, like, respond with such humanity for her mm-hmm. and say, like, that is heartbreaking. Like, I, I've had a miscarriage myself. Like, I can't imagine what she's going through either. Like, that's so cruel of them to fire her, you know, a week after this. And so suddenly this person who was kind of like this villain that even I had started to villainize without realizing it, because I really try not to do that, not to dehumanize people. But even I was fine poking fun at her. And then all of a sudden it was like, we were reminded of her humanity Mm -hmm. and I thought that was really beautiful. And I think that I've learned over the years that there's a lot of people who, you know, if you run a big group like this, when you make a mistake like that, you tend to double down and, you know, whatever, screw it. Like she still was the president of Planned Parenthood and being able to find this, I don't know, this, this space where I can say, you know what, I made a mistake. Like, I think that's really important, and I love the fact that New Wave Feminists allow me to do that. Like, nobody on there ever gets mad when I do this. Like, I actually take posts down all the time because I'm feeling salty, and I post something, and then I realize that it wasn't very, you know, charitable or kind, and so I'll remove it. And they always give me a lot of grace when it comes to that. So I also think that, you know... Yeah, saying okay or hearting someone's comment when they're being that's that's about as petty as I try to go these days. And for well, the most part, just surrounding yourself with good people who keep you in line and give you grace to make mistakes is important too. Yeah, two thoughts on that is grace and humility are very big Catholic words, so congratulations on that. It's and I sec- touch the coin. This and, is what happens. And yeah, and second, the the very idea of it it is just like the result of your mission to and the people in who want to do pro-life things, the idea that like, yes, this woman held a position that is awful inside a company that is awful, but she went through a very traumatic thing that is part of something that we, the pro-life movement cares deeply about. Right. So the idea that just because this woman has, you know, uh, not knowing her personally, but the position that she held was a very bad one. It does not lessen the idea that her, her tragedy was any, less of you know less of a tragedy so it's yeah and what an opportunity we have as a pro-life community to surround Mm -hmm. her with love and show her so i need to put this out to the uh i need to put this out to you too Uh, you have to advise me because i did tweet something i hadn't heard about the other the stuff in her life i said so she tweeted her statement about leaving planned parenthood and so i said important statement from one of the 500 females terminated by planned parenthood today yikes (laughs) then do you think given what we know now maybe i should take that down it's too mean it's not mean it's pithy and it's funny and everyone will laugh at her expense so i mean i think that that's kind of where we have to remind ourselves like even from behind a computer screen right these these are people and we have an opportunity to love them well and show them what our movement's about. And Abby Johnson actually had a great tweet to her where she just said, I know all about those backroom meetings and the stuff Planned Parenthood does. If you ever want to talk about it, I'd love to I talk saw to that. You. That was good. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, 
This is great. Did we just did we just Catholic guilt Zach into deleting his tweet? No, am Zach. I better, Zach am I has fit Catholic now. Yeah, well, Zach has plenty of Catholic guilt as is. So you just you got an example of what it's like to apply it to someone else. So it's that was so exciting. I know. We uh, see. I know. It's going to be great. It's going. I can already see it now. It's going to be like Saint Destiny of Texas, um, <laughs> prior to being received into Holy Mother Church, um, saw saw people in cages uh, deprived of their rosaries by you know the protestant armies and um and and delivered them rosaries knowing you know destiny about what she was doing destiny and, I, uh, I mean it's a beautiful story it's almost I just like they, they all started... Texas. i like that, that so actually we what we do well, you at, know we can we can make it happen at the <laughs> at the end of every episode we're not going to do it this one because it's gone long but legitimately we do a saint of the week um, where we talk about who a oh, saint whose feast day it is in the week we uh, release the podcast. Um, so since we're not doing it this one, we'll just say Saint Destiny of Texas is this week's <laughs> saint of the week. Uh, if people want to find you on the internet, where do they go? Uh, New Wave Feminists, plural with an S on the end. dot com, uh, and Facebook and Instagram are the best place. I always give a disclaimer that we swear a lot, so. I don't know. You have to be okay what, with that. What's your twit? What's New Wave Feminist Twitter account? Oh, that one's complicated. So it's NWF Pro TX. So okay. Pro Texas. Okay. All right. All right. That's great. I remember seeing something you posted where someone was like, "Do you always use bad words?" And you're like, "I do, and I'm sorry." But here's some other pro-life groups you may want to follow. Yeah, I gave them all <laughs> the other feminist groups that mind their p's and q's, so that they could do it, that. I just. It cracked me up because you're just like, yeah, this is how I talk, but here's people who don't. And no, just... it, the, the less charitable Destiny used to be like, F off, get off my page then. But new new charitable <laughs> half-Catholic Destiny just tells them where they can go to find the content they need. Oh, beautiful. This is, this is <laughs> you know, all jokes aside, this has been amazing. Thank you for coming on. Like Zach said, we've talked about having you on for months, and we're just too lazy to do anything about it, but... Um, we hope to have you back to talk some other stuff sometime and, uh, yeah. Any, anything else, any final words for the people you want to say before we leave this thing? Um, what is it? What is it that I'm supposed to peace be with you and also with you or and y'all with have your a new spirit. one, right? And with your and spirit. With, see, I just, I'll never well, see, we do it that. in Latin, but it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah. Thanks. Destiny. This was great. Destiny. Thank you so much. All right. All right. We will talk to you all next week. See ya. See ya.